Welcome to Louisiana Lefty, a podcast about politics and community in Louisiana, where we make the case that the health of the state requires a strong progressive movement fueled by the critical work of organizing on the ground. Our goal is to democratize information, demystify party politics, and empower you to join the mission because victory for Louisiana requires you. On this week's episode, I host Brooks Fordham, who attends college at Louisiana Tech, a short drive from his native West Monroe, Louisiana. He's also the outgoing vice president of College Democrats of Louisiana, and together we continue my series of conversations with young Democratic leaders on the best ways to engage voters in their peer group. Brooks Fordham, thank you so much for joining me on Louisiana Lefty today. Thank you so much for having me, Linda. Well, I am glad that you're here. I always start the podcast with how we met. I talked to, as you mentioned earlier to me, I talked to Cameron English a couple weeks ago, and like her, I believe you and I met during the pandemic. So we've never been together in person. Is that correct? Do I have that right? I believe I believe so. Did we meet it at the True Blue Gala in 2019? Were you there? I was, so we probably did. Okay, okay. I, well, I think I actually remember meeting meeting you there. Um, I was with Stephen, um, so maybe we did. 100% then. I'm glad you reminded me of that. That 100% <laughs> is where we met then. Um, but we also did work together virtually on the yes. convention uh, in 2020. Yes, yes, that was a great experience. Well, I'm so glad that uh, you helped with that. So I was whip captain for the state and you and Cameron were whips. Jolin Jolivet also was a whip with us. And so that was our job to make sure that we got all the votes in for the nominee from all of our different delegates in the state. Right. Yes, I remember that. Where are you originally from, Brooks? I am from West Monroe, Louisiana in the northern part of the state, northeast. Is that where you are now? Uh, yes, I go to Louisiana Tech, which is about 40-ish minutes away from where I grew up at. And I'm a junior at Tech right now. Okay, so you have another year there? Yes, yes, I just finished my junior year. So I will begin my senior year this upcoming fall. And you were on the executive board of College Democrats of Louisiana this year, is that right? Yes, yes. In a few weeks, uh, my tenure as vice president um, will end. Are you planning to run for another office in the organization? Uh, no, I will be done with College Democrats uh, at the state level for, um, I will be done after this term ends. Uh, I've loved it. I've been involved uh, for three years since I came in as a freshman. And um, I love the experiences that I've had with it, um, but I will be done. I have a lot of other things going on. Is College Democrats your first political interaction or did you have something before that? Uh, what, what got you interested in politics in the first place? I have been interested in politics uh, since I was very young. Um, I remember in 2014, the uh, runoff with uh, Bill Cassidy and Mary Landry, I was only 13 years old. But that was always interesting to me. I remember watching the race very closely. Um, I was only 13, but I was very interested in that. So um, 
but I really got politically engaged in the 2016 election um, just because I was 15, but I remember just seeing the candidate that Donald Trump was and being so appalled by him. And after he won, I was just very, um, I was reading a lot of stuff about politics. And then when I went to college, I of course wanted to join a political organization. And I found a college Democrats chapter on my campus. And I was, I knew, I was like, this is, I want to be involved in. Um, I want to get involved in political organizing. And <laughs> that's, I was just, I was definitely wanted to do that. How did the pandemic hamper organizing for college Democrats over the last year? It definitely did had um, some serious effects on college Democrats and what we do. Um, we wanted, we had, were planning um, a convention, um, an in-person convention right when COVID was happening. Um, so the, the huge shutdown was in like March, mid-March. And we had been in talks, we were, uh, planning the convention. We had the convention site like booked. We had like um, catering like ready. Uh, we had like booked some rooms and then all of a sudden just, you know, shut down on everything. And so at the time when we all thought COVID was going to be over, we're like, oh, we'll just plan one in the fall. Um, no, we have not been able to do any in-person like convent, like meet and greet or like events for college Democrats um, for the state or federal level. Um, it just, it's, everything's been over Zoom. And that has been unfortunate because one of the best parts is meeting other people, you know, getting to talk with them, talk about, you know, their experiences, what's going on. And that's, that's been the biggest effect. Um, but also I would say it has an effect on like how we campaign, um, like for in the 2020 election, like door knocking and stuff. And like, uh, events where you get to meet the candidates, they looked so different because um, you don't want to have like a big event, but at the same time, uh, candidates and people want to organize for them and candidates want to meet people and shake their hands and talk to them. So, yeah. Yeah, I think you really lose the quality of some of those interactions when you can't be in a room together, when you can't meet the candidate in person or an elected official in person. Of course, we all like to get our photographs made these days with candidates and, um, and elected officials. But, you know, the other thing about Democrats, too, is like we're such social beings that I think it really is, even if there's not a celebrity or a famous person in the room, I think we really enjoy being in a room together and being able to interact that way. Mm -hmm. And that's probably true just for your college experience as well, right? Just not having been able to yeah, be around I mean, other students. Yeah, for the past year, you know, not being able to do any other kind of like events, social events. Um, it's been, it's been difficult for sure. Well, what was the most memorable thing you've done so far with College Democrats? The most memorable, I would say, was when we hosted the national convention in 2019 in New Orleans, um, getting to have uh, college Democrats from almost all 50 states uh, come to our state and have a bunch of like political candidates and elected officials come and talk to us and getting to meet everybody and having them visit, you know, our city, New Orleans was a, such a great experience. I loved it. Oh, that's great. And then what do you think was the most impactful thing you've done as an organization, something that's actually helped 
shape Louisiana or even nationally if there's something you've done as a national organization? Well, um, I would say that we did a lot of organizing in 2019 um, for John Bell Edwards. Um, we made like, I think it was 50,000 uh, texts or calls. Uh, we knocked on doors. Um, and we were very involved in uh, his campaign and getting, making sure that he was elected and the Democrats down ballot were elected. And um, of course, you know, he won by 40,000 votes, a very close election. So, you know, we slightly give ourselves credit and, you know, helping him achieve his victory. Um, we loved being a part of that. Well, thank you for that. I think you should give yourself credit for that. <laughs> From your conversations and your interactions with your peers, what, what do you think inspires young voters to go out and vote? I think young voters um, care a lot about policy. Um, they are really care about like what specific policies a candidate or candidates are advocating for, uh, for them to vote for someone. Um, so if you're running for office and I feel like most younger voters, you know, lean left on a lot of issues, but just because they lean left doesn't necessarily mean that they want to vote for a Democrat. Um, and I think that it's Democrats talking about issues and poli tangible policies that, that we can pass that really excites young voters, um, like college affordability, um, and student debt, you know, I think that's one that a lot of young people really like to hear, um, which I think is like a two-part issue is dealing with college debt. Uh, some people want to cancel some debt. Some people want to cancel all of it. Um, that's a debate that's going on in the party. Um, but then also after that, uh, canceling debt or getting rid of it is only one part of the solution because then we have to still make college affordable or else we'll be in the same problem for, um, you know, 20 or 30 years from now, we'll be in the exact same situation we're in now. Um, that's an issue that young voters really um, care about. Um, I think climate change, uh, specifically in a state like Louisiana, uh, young people are very worried about. I mean, we just saw just this past week, all the flooding uh, from Lake Charles to Baton Rouge. You see these homes that are being flooded, these streets and bridges, and it's just terrible. It just speaks about how, and it's not even hurricane season yet. Um, it just shows how bad the, the weather's getting, climate's getting, um, you know, climate change is definitely real and happening. And I feel like young people want people, want our elected officials to take a serious stand against it because we are going to be here for a very long time and we're going to have to deal with the effects of it. That's true. And it's, it's very daunting. We are I know Joe Biden came into the state recently to talk about infrastructure, and that's great to shore up our crumbling infrastructure. But if we don't address the climate crisis, those bridges and those roads are meaningless at some point if we're just all underwater. You mentioned redistricting to me before we started. And I know, is that something that you hear young voters speak about, or is that something that's sort of unique to you and something that you're really interested in? Um, redistricting is very important to me, um, and I think it should be important to every Democrat right now because, you know, this happens every 10 years, and we are at a significant disadvantage right now, or we're going to be next year. If you look at the control of many of the state legislatures, they draw the congressional districts. Republicans have uh, either supermajorities or majorities in both of them. 
and they plan to draw some egregious maps to oust Democrats so they can get control of the House of Representatives. Um, we have a very small majority in the House, and it, there are more than enough seats that Republicans can gerrymander at the state levels to get control at the federal level of the House. And um, I think that, that that's, of course, an immediate problem for Democrats right now, but we need to continue to advocate for fair maps and uh, to end partisan gerrymandering. Um, you know, Democrats uh, gerrymander in some states as well, but we are the only party that is advocating to put it to an end completely. We want to outlaw it at the federal level to where no state can be able to do that. Um, so I think that that's a part of HR1. I know it is, uh, which is a huge voting rights bill that is so important. Um, you know, automatic voter registration, ending partisan gerrymandering, expanding absentee ballots, getting rid of uh, voter ID laws, uh, laws that target minorities to being able to vote. Um, I think that that's so important. And re redistricting emphasizes the need for uh, a bill like HR1, the For the People Act. It would take control away from the state legislatures to be able to draw the maps and it would instead go to an independent commission. Um, there is a question about the constitutionality of such a, uh, of such a bill, but it's worth trying because this is a terrible uh, thing that we are turning the lines of districts to, a, to favor a political party. I just think that that's terrible. Um, and to really have a democracy, uh, we need to have fair maps where people uh, elect their representatives, not their representatives electing their constituents. I agree with that. And that, but the Republicans have worked for years to get to a space where they have control over all these state legislatures across the country. So they're not going to give up the ghost on this very easily. They're going to try to really block that HR1. And so we've got to get rid of the filibuster, right? In order to pass that. Is that, is that where we're at really? I understand um, conservative Democrats or moderate Democrats who are concerned with uh, getting rid of a decades-long rule that both parties have abided by. Um, however, I think that given the recent turn in the Republican Party from being a conservative party to just being uh, not just the party of Trump, but just lawlessness and complete hypocrisy shows that we are not dealing with the legitimate two-party system anymore. There is one party that stands for the rule of law um, and the other one has just gone on the fringes. I mean, the Republican party, you saw how last, last week or two weeks ago, they ousted Liz Cheney one of the most conservative people in the entire caucus because of her criticism of Trump. Um, it's just a fan club now of one person and they will do whatever to defend, uh, to try to stay in power. And I think that, that that kind of means that the Democrats can no longer say, oh yeah, well, we need to keep the filibuster. That way we can you know, do things in a bipartisan fashion we aren't dealing with the party who wants to cooperate with us at all. And 
I say to, it might be precedent to keep it, but Mitch McConnell nuked the filibuster for judicial nominees and he got away with that. So I think that it's totally fair game for us to get rid of the filibuster, um, maybe not entirely, but for important issues that we know the Republicans are going to refuse to work with us on, I'm, I'm down for getting rid of it, yes. I mean, I think if Mitch McConnell was in Chuck Schumer's shoes right now, the filibuster would already be gone. <laughs> right, I think, yeah, I think it's a matter of time. Um, one of the parties is going to get rid of it. And why, why should we let the Republicans get the first, get the first punch? <laughs> Yeah. And you mentioned Liz Cheney. Meanwhile, while she's trying to move the party away from Trump, which I can get behind, she's still advocating for these voter suppression laws. Exactly. Yes. So yes. It's, if this is our time right now to try to pass some legislation that will make voting fairer for the average majority of Americans, it's really time that we handle that and take and care of it. I want to add one more thing to that with uh, okay. with HR uh, one and the For the People Act is that Republicans are saying that it's a partisan bill and that it would help Democrats. Well, that's not Democrats' fault for allowing people to vote for because we allow people to vote that helps us in elections. That speaks far more about the Republican Party than it does Democrats. If more people vote, you guys lose elections. That says a lot more about you than it does us. So us expanding voting isn't necessarily a partisan thing. It's a good thing for democracy. And you guys are willingly admitting that you don't want that because you understand if less people vote, you have, you're more likely to win. I agree. You're 100% on that. So I do want to go back to talking about young voters and college mm -hmm. Democrats, um, mostly young voters, though, uh, what kind of support or interaction do you feel like either the organization or young voters in general need from candidates or elected officials or even the Democratic Party infrastructure that would allow you to be more engaged and feel like you're more a part of the solution and progress? I think that young people want, would feel the most engaged if uh, elected officials and the Democratic Party talks about issues that they care about. But I, for one, think that the Democratic Party has, even in the past four years, made such tremendous uh, attempts to court them. Um, so I think that the Democratic Party is doing a good job. I don't think they're doing perfect, but at trying to get young voters involved um, and you know, organizing and being politically active and politically aware. Um, I think that one of the ways to reach young people is through like social media. And um, I think COVID has exacerbated that. And um, I think that's one of the few positives is that a lot of stuff has moved online, but that's really easier to meet uh, young, younger people who might not be you know, going to in-person county party events, or, you know, they aren't going to necessarily be going to like a democratic luncheon for the county or the parish, um, but they will be seen on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. So more engagement on social media, I think is the best way to get to get to get to them. And just out of curiosity, would the 
if they're not turning up to a parish party or county party lunch, is that more of a financial hurdle or just not something that would be interesting? I just think that times have kind of changed and that's just not something that young voters see as like, that's just not something they see as a way of organizing. Not necessarily that they have anything against it, but um, those luncheons or those county meetings or those town meetings are usually um, a lot of older people. And there's just a disconnect from older members in the party who did things a different way and younger people who organize in a different way. Okay, interesting. And we actually talked a little bit before the podcast about some of the data I was seeing from Voto Latino about Latino voters in the 2020 elections becoming the second largest voting block. And within that block, it actually was young voters who ended up turning out most. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, in Georgia and North Carolina, a third of all the Latino votes were from folks under 29. In Nevada, Virginia, and Colorado, it was a quarter of all Latino votes were under 29. And those younger voters ended up supporting Democrats at a higher percent than their counterparts in any of the other age groups. And I'm less interested in discussing with you the Latino vote so much as the conversation we were having about engaging different constituencies and how that's something that really elected officials and candidates and the party needs to do earlier and more consistently. Whether or not it's Latino voters or young voters or whatever, it's really a matter of being consistent in how your outreach is going. Yeah, I think that uh, Latino, like targeting Latino voters is a perfect example of not looking as to one demographic Uh, not looking at one demographic as um, a monolith and speaking about solely those issues that you you are inclined to think that they care about. Um, So for instance, I mentioned like, you know, just assuming that all Latino voters care about the exact same issues. It's just not true. They're not a monolith. There's so many different nationalities and types of Latino voters, um, but that applies to other demographics as well. I think Kamala Harris said in one of the Democratic debates, and they said, let's talk about women's issues. And she's like, sure, I'd love to talk about the economy um, or healthcare. It can seem inauthentic to just assume uh, one demographic cares about one issue. And we really need to be in those communities asking what they care about and hearing their needs uh, instead of just going there and saying, we care about these things because focus groups said that this would be good and you care about this. Um, So, you know, not just when you're talking, trying to court women voters, not just talking about issues that you think women will be really uh, likely to support or agree with, you know? No, I think that's right. And I think, again, like we were saying earlier, part of the task is to find out what those constituencies need and then try to meet those needs instead of the other way around, going to them and telling them what you're going to do for them and what you can bring to them, assuming that you already know basically what you're saying, assuming that you already know what they need. That's really the opposite way of of going about doing things. Right. And we get there through long-term, constant, um, constantly 
being involved with those communities and building relationships, um, not just every four years, three months before an election, going going out there and knocking on doors and saying, hey, we would like for your vote. Uh, we wanna do these things for you. Please come vote for us on November 2nd or whatever. Um, it's 24 seven, every day of the year, investing in those communities, even if it's not remotely political, just advocating for um, and listening to what these communities what they need, what they want. Um, I think that will do uh, a great deal for the Democratic Party. And I'm encouraged by the new DNC chair, uh, Jamie Harrison, and the incoming DNC leadership that has promised to be active in communities uh, all the time and to invest in uh, voter outreach uh, long-term. So I'm very, I'm very pleased to hear what he's said so far. I hope they manage to be able to do that organizing work that you're talking about. Is there work with democratic politics, college Democrats, progressive politics that you're doing still now or that you plan to work on? Or are you just really gonna be focused on your studies over the next year? Um, over the next year, I am planning on applying to law schools. So I am very focused on that at the moment. Uh, taking the LSAT. So I am taking a little bit of a step back from a lot of like political organizing. Um, but that doesn't mean that I want to be done with it. I love politics. I love the political world. And um, I hope to continue to be involved um, as an adult. But I don't have anything going on right now um, at the moment. Okay. But I know you did say that you recently signed on to the lawsuit that the National Democratic redistricting committee has filed here in Louisiana to make sure that we do get fair districts in the the next round of redistricting. Yes, I did just sign on to that this past week. Um, so I will ho hopefully be a plaintiff for um, the National Democratic Redistricting Committee's a lawsuit here in Louisiana. Um, I would really like to be a part of that. And is that the kind of thing you might be interested in law school for? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, what type of law? Um, I, I think so. Um, I think that that would be a very interesting part. Well, there's also uh, plenty of action going on. Look around all the lawsuits about voter suppression um, and all the laws that Republicans are enacting. It definitely emphasizes the need for attorneys to defend that kind of stuff. So definitely. As you're in law school, there will be plenty of opportunities also to work on some of those voter protection teams when we have elections going on. So make sure you stay connected to that. What do you think are the biggest obstacles for Democrats in Louisiana? I think the biggest obstacle for Democrats in Louisiana is uh, getting rid of the connotation that Louisiana is a red state so that we cannot elect Democrats. Um, I think a lot of people, particularly young people, are very discouraged because they see states as red states, blue states, you know, or a swing state, and Louisiana is considered a red state. And it, it is, it votes, you know, very to the right of the nation. But because people think that it is a red state and there's no way that it can vote blue, whether it be for Senate or for pre presidential, people don't want to invest in you know, the state, and that goes for other red states as well. So young people are discouraged from, uh, you know, wanting to move here or wanting to vote, change their registration to vote here. 
And I think that that is something that Democrats and young people need to work on is changing the connotation around like, oh, well, this is a red state. There's no way it there's no way that it's going to vote blue. So it's not worth trying. Um, I think that's something that we can work on to change in the state because we did elect a Democratic governor um, in 2019 for re-election. Um, and you know, I'm not saying that that necessarily means that you know we're gonna we're going to vote blue in 2024, 2028, but it means that given the right circumstances, there is a majority of people in Louisiana who would be willing to vote for a Democrat. And I think that speaks to if there are long-term investments in our state, there could be payoff. We have to be able to convince people that it's a possibility. I think that's smart and I think it's really important. What do you think our biggest opportunities are? I think our biggest opportunity will be later this year uh, in regards to redistricting in Louisiana. Um, as we talked about for a few minutes earlier, uh, in 2019, when John Bell Edwards was elected and Republicans failed to get supermajorities in both houses, that means that unless there is some kind of deal made between uh, Edwards and the Republican legislature, there will be fair maps. He has promised to veto a map that is, gives a significant disadvantage to um, one party or the other. And he said he wants to take a keen interest in the redistricting. And I think that Democrats can take significant advantage of this. Um, as you and I both know, our maps at the legislative and congressional level are very gerrymandered. Um, if we had fair maps, it would be likely that Democrats would gain another seat in our congressional delegation. There is more than enough uh, Democratic voters to have a second Democratic seat. Uh, potentially even a VRA seat. And um, that also matters at the state legislative level, because if we have fair maps, Republicans would not have a supermajority in either uh, chamber. Um, and that's really important. And I think that it's a possibility, but if we get really fair uh, nonpartisan maps, Democrats can take advantage and start putting that investment that we just talked about into our state and really electing more Democrats. And that will make people feel better about uh, Louisiana's prospects as becoming you know, a blue state or voting blue. I mean, it really underscores the importance of all our elections, but in particular that, that governor's election and reelecting John Bill Edwards was huge for having fair maps in our state. And it's sometimes difficult to get people to understand those esoteric sort of in the weeds issues with voting, but that was a huge one for the state. All right, Brooks, who's your favorite superhero? Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, I guess I really like Iron Man. I love the Iron Man movies. <laughs> me too, me too. I think that's a great one. Well, I appreciate your sharing that information with me and for joining me today, Brooks. I hope you'll let me know if you're in my neck of the woods ever, if you get down to New Orleans. Good luck with your LSATs. And again, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much, Linda. I appreciate it that you had, you had me on. Thank you for listening to Louisiana Lefty. Please subscribe to our podcast and then follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
thanks to Ben Collinsworth for producing Louisiana Lefty, Jennifer Pack of Black Cat Studios for our Super Lefty artwork, and Thousand Dollar Car for allowing us to use their Swamp Pop Classic Security Guard as our Louisiana Lefty theme song.